Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it is no different. I have Mr. Matt Gamewell. Matt, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? How's things? Hey, things are good. It's a, it's a strange off-season for our hockey team, but we're, uh, we're making do and trying to get through it the best we can. Thank you for asking. Definitely, definitely strange times. You're most welcome, sir. Uh, Matt, before we get, get, get into your current day-to-day and what you're currently working on let's go back in time who were you as a young person at school uh, I was wanting to be the next Bob Costas I had a dream uh, growing up in St. Louis Missouri and attending the University of Missouri which is a famous journalism school I wanted to be a sportscaster I wanted to host the NFL pregame show and cover the Olympics and do all that kind of stuff I was a uh, not a great athlete but I was big on following sports and knowing trivia and being able to talk about it. So I was a guy who wanted to be a sportscaster, wanted to live and breathe sports, covering the games, being in the locker room, being on the road with the team. And that really was a a central focus for me as I thought about my education, about my next steps. Wow. Very, very nice. You, you definitely got close. So, which is, which, which is great. Um, After school, talk to me through about your, your college journey and how you got into college and what you studied and so on. Yeah. So that all being said, I was fortunate. I I got an English degree at the university of Missouri, which was kind of utilitarian. It helped me learn how to write and communicate effectively. I did not end up getting a journalism degree as an undergrad, but I later went back to school and uh, I got a broadcast journalism masters at Northwestern university outside Chicago. Um, So I did it in a couple different ways that are, atypical. But I was fortunate while I was in college, in undergrad, I was able to work as a disc jockey. I worked at a top 40 radio station, starting out as the guy that did the overnights from midnight to six, and then getting to do some other stuff, you know, better time shifts, better better roles. But that really helped me get into radio to start and develop my skills, hone my talents as a broadcaster, which then allowed me to have a tape that I could take out to the market and share with people what I was doing, what I was capable of, and what I was hoping to accomplish when I got out of college and into the full-time workforce. That's what led me into my first job with Learfield Communications right after I graduated. Literally was across the street from the station I was working at, but it was a, a radio, a company that owned radio networks for news and sports, and that was really my, um, my way in the door. And it was, there, was, there was a personal connection, a couple different people that I knew in my circle, family and friends, knew some people at the company. So the combination of a warm introduction and a tape of my work is what led me in the door and interviewing skills down the line got me the job. Spoke about doing the overnight programs um, from 12 till six, right? Were you physically up at those times or was it pre-recorded or? Yeah, at the time we're talking, let's see here, mid nineties, 1990s. We didn't have the technology to pre-record stuff. 
So yeah, I drove to the radio station every night about 11 o'clock. We'd do a half an hour of show prep and then I'd be on the air from midnight to six. When I was going off the air is when the morning show was starting. So I was there basically loading up on uh, caffeine, caffeine drinks and donuts to keep me awake. And then when I finished, I would drive back to uh, where I was living and I would go to my classes, maybe a power nap in there, you know, here and there. But it was, uh, it was a rough way to get some experience, but it was really vital to moving, you know, my skill set forward. Did you ever say to yourself, there's a good, there's a good chance I'm going to quit today? There was times when you'd just be so exhausted trying to balance it all, you know, between classwork and, well, pretending to have a social life and then also working. But I knew you could see the path. I had seen people in my building who had started on the overnight shift getting the opportunities to move forward from there. Um, so that was what kind of powered me, knowing that, hey, there's plenty of people that were working part-time jobs just like I was, but they weren't as... Um, associated with what they wanted to do after graduation. So that gave me a lot of hope. What happened with life after Leafield? Where would you move on to from, from Leafield? I, uh, so I worked for that company two different times. I guess we'll come back to that. But I was there for three years doing, I was a sportscaster. I did some weather. I did some news. I did some reporting. I did a, a few different things, you know, sort of a jack of all trades. Um, but I was after eight years of living in my college town, which is beautiful. I love Columbia, Missouri, but I was ready at that point to move on. So I moved back to St. Louis, my hometown for a year. I worked at an ad agency and then I moved to Chicago because at that point I just decided I wanted to get into advertising sales. So I did kind of a two part transition, one to move geographically and two to kind of try something else career wise. So it starts to get a little bit more interesting when you um, change industries early on you know, after a couple of years out of school, um, took me to a couple different places, really moving to Chicago, which I think was 1998 was integral for me finding more of what I wanted to do long-term. 1998. And how was the experience in Chicago after moving from somewhere like Missouri? Yeah, big, it was big, much bigger city, busier. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just a, it's, well, Chicago is a world-class city, right? It's mm -hmm. a big place. It's not, to me, it's not as intimidating as New York, but it's got so much of the same benefit. There's a lot going on there. And I was really focused at that point thinking, all right, I want to do more advertising and marketing. And this is a great place to do it because, you know, everybody has a presence there. They may not be headquartered there the way they are in New York, but there's a lot of advertising agencies. There's a lot of media companies. There's obviously sports teams. There's just a wealth of opportunities, but it's still the Midwest. It's not that far from home. I knew people that were living there. That was kind of my, my path to get there. Um, and it's just a great social town. It's really easy to meet people, easy to make friends, easy to find things to fill your calendar. It's a great land of opportunities. So I ended up staying there for 14 years, give or take. Um, Loved it a lot. The only downside sometimes is the weather, but you know, that's, that's the case in a lot of places. Yeah. So where, where, where did you work while you spent your time in Chicago? Yeah. Um, I got my first break selling advertising. I worked for Chicago magazine, which is a great, you know, city magazine. And it was a really good opportunity. I hadn't any sales experience really at that point. And I, got a couple of fellows to believe in me and figured that I could do something. So I was lucky that 
I got to go to work for this great city magazine that talked about restaurants. It talked about culture. It did some great investigative journalism, just a really nice package. And um, I got to work with national clients at a local magazine. So I was very fortunate. I was calling on the automakers in Detroit. I was calling on uh, the spirits companies at the time. Tobacco could still advertise in magazines. I worked with a lot of the agencies around that. Um, so I got to work on some sort of big categories that were a little outside my area of expertise, but a great learning experience. You know, so learning about bourbon, learning about scotch, learning about vodka and gin and trying to convince them to advertise in our magazine. Same with the beer companies, same with both the domestic automakers as well as the, um, the imports. Uh, so just a, just a remarkable experience. And we did a lot of events. We did fashion shows. We did um, restaurant openings and just all kind of movie premieres, things like that. So it was just a really, as a, especially as a newcomer to Chicago, it was an amazing opportunity to get to do a lot of different things. Very, very nice. You, you sort of just missed the whole hustle and bustle of the Chicago Bulls. Probably just yeah. missed it by a couple of I years. You know, we were just watching uh, The Last Dance earlier this summer with my kids. Yeah. I got there April of 1998. So I was there for the last championship. But then it was it was done not not long after I got there. What was the city? What was the city like during that time and then post that? Yeah, it was electric. I mean, it was such a neat thing to be a part of. You know, to go to the bars and to watch those games, and to see the excitement of so many different people of all you know shapes and sizes. And then after they uh, broke up the team and they languished, it was just it was kind of sad. You know, I mean, Chicago is great because there's not not just the Bulls, right? There's the Bears and the Cubs and the White Sox and the Blackhawks, and they've all taken their turns in the spotlight since then, uh, and that helped. But there was a, there was a, you could feel like a citywide depression when the Bulls were no longer the rock stars that they had been. Wow, interesting. Take me through your journey back to Learfield because Learfield has such a huge presence in the in the world of of college and and college sports. So you went back to Louisville. Why? What, what took you back there? I'd gotten some additional experience in sales, both with Chicago Magazine and later when I worked for Esquire Magazine. So I had a, a lot of sales experience under my belt. I had success and I had maintained a lot of relationships with Learfield. You know, at the time it was a family owned company. I had some very dear friends that were still there, that were still role models and mentors. And we just sort of stayed in touch. And at a certain point when I said, hey, I, I'm thinking about making a change, both career-wise and geography-wise. Um, that's what led me to rejoining Learfield in February of 2010. So I, I had had three years' experience there. Then I was gone for 13 years, and I got to go back in February 2010. And not only did I get to go back, but I went back to the University of Missouri and worked as a seller on the sales team for Learfield at my college. Um, the reason we were interested in moving part and parcel of it was we had a, we had our second child who was a baby when we moved and we just felt like, you know, moving to a college town, moving to a place that I knew and loved um, was going to work out really well for us. And it was, it was, it ended up being even better than we thought it would be. Um, I was there for two years and then Learfield put me in the system to move a couple times. So I moved back to Chicago at one point, and then I moved to Los Angeles. All told, that second time with the company was eight years. But the reason I went back is because they put a value on my sales experience that I had accumulated in Chicago, the success I had working with clients around the Midwest, 
and just the fact that I was really interested and I was still a big, you know, sports fan and I could talk the language of um, selling the passion of uh, sports fans to advertisers. So it was kind of a you know, perfect storm, let's say, of, of timing and attributes that, that got me back in the door. But I just loved the, the company and the, the fact that I had so many friends that were there the whole time, even while I was gone for 13 years, it made so much, so much sense to go back. Well, there you go. Let's, let's move on to your journey in the, the pro sports leagues and teams. Um, your first key was at, at the LA um, Angels? Yeah, after leaving Learfield, I went to the Angels. That's right. Okay, take us through that. How did you transition from college sports to, to pro sports? What was that transition like? Yeah, um, fairly smooth. It was one of those, I had, you know, living in Southern California, you meet a lot of your fellow sports marketing professionals at various events and conferences, made a contact at the Angels and just stayed in touch. So when they had a job opening, uh, they were looking for a senior seller. It was kind of a, it was a good fit. It was a nice time to transition for me. I had eight years of college sports and I love college sports, but I had not yet done professional sports. And I just, I thought I needed to get that professional sports experience. Um, so that kind of is what led me down the path of transitioning from the Learfield model to working for a single professional organization. And it helped that it was in my backyard. I didn't want to move to take a new job because I'd already moved a few times as it was. So kind of a, you know, again, a, just a right place, right time scenario. And then, and then you move on to the Ducks? Yep, I did. Uh, it's, it's interesting when you sit in the office in Angel Stadium, you can see the Honda Center where the Ducks play and our office is right next to it. So there's a decent amount of transition between the Ducks and Angels and the Angels and Ducks. Back in the day, we were both owned by Disney. We have both been independently owned since 2006, but there's a decent amount of um, carryover between the two organizations. So what's the biggest difference you experienced between the leagues, Major League Baseball and NHL? Well, the length of the season is an obvious one. You know, 162 games versus 82 games. Um, baseball has just got such a longer history, but the NHL has done a really good job of conquesting some of these non-traditional markets. The fact that there's two teams in Southern California, there's a team in Phoenix, there's a team in Las Vegas, um, and the and the passion, the fan base that they have uh, for hockey teams in these areas is remarkable. Our organization owns ice rinks around the community, and you see how many families come through these rinks because they're developing their sons and daughters into hockey players. That's really remarkable. You, that's not unexpected in baseball or soccer or some other sports, but in hockey in Southern California, where it's nice year round and people are spending all this time going into ice rinks because they want to hone their skills and get better at what they do. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely. Um, Matt, you've been in the world of sports for, for a long time. Um, what's the biggest change you've seen from the time you started till, till now? I mean, the technology is, is very much a big part of it. That sounds very basic to say, but um, when you start in these sort of sales careers, it used to be a little bit more just picking up the phone and calling people or just going out on the street, knocking on doors, setting up meetings, roaming around a little bit, trying to find business. Now so much is focused around email and scheduling conference calls. And it, it takes some of the impromptu nature out of it, the drop-in nature, for better or for worse. 
Um, but then also how we present the games, not just on the, on the sales part, the off season, the revenue generation inside the building. There's so much more focus on the video board, on the game presentation, on entertaining the fan and giving them a, a great experience. That's a positive for sure. Um, it's just, there's so much more that goes into every single game every single day. And it's a combination of technology and customer service and fan appreciation as a part, as also a part of taking care of your sponsors and making sure that they have a really sharp program to engage with those fans. And it's not hit or miss the way it used to be. In, in such a competitive market in California with so many pro teams, I mean, not too far away from you can name five, six, how do you guys compete and get those partnerships? I mean, it would be crazy, crazy busy. Yeah, it's amazing. We go 10 or 12 deep now between the pro and the college teams here. And you really just have to focus on the strength of your fan base, how engaged they are, how passionate they are, you know, what they represent in terms of their, you know, psychographics and demographics. And you realize, hey, look, among all those teams, there's wildly different price points for the investment on a partnership level. And there's different um, enthusiasm for different sports. We just we really work hard to be a challenger brand to help people understand hey we may not be for everybody but we're going to be really great partners and really deliver a superior experience not only for our fans but for the people who partner with us and as a result we get brands that understand you probably have to think a little bit differently uh, so it's just it's it's being very authentic and genuine being very proactive in your communication and intentional with your efforts to uh, communicate with people and understand, hey, you're not going to have all your wins be really quick and short term. A lot of times they're going to have to be um, longer, more developed efforts. Well, there you go. Uh, Matt, you've been amazing. Thank you very much. You've shared a ton of insight with us. Um, if you had three tips to give to these young people or anybody trying to build a career in pro sports, what, what would they be? Number one, Humility, uh, understanding that there's always a lot to learn. And if you're humble and you have a great attitude and you work hard, people will notice it. You can put people off with too much arrogance and ego, especially if you haven't earned it. Two, I always love to tell people, write thank you notes. You know, when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody, sit down with somebody, have a meeting with somebody, make sure you thank them in person, thank them, you know, as a follow-up not just an email, not just a tweet, not just, you know, whatever. Um, and third, don't be afraid to take chances on opportunities or categories or skills that you may not be totally interested in exploring. And that is, hey, there's a lot of great jobs out there. There's not always a direct path to each of them. So the more experience you can get, especially on the sales side and revenue generation and business development, the better off you're going to be. There you go. And last but not least, where can people get in touch with you online? Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and everywhere. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Matt Gainwell, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?